Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today, we're going to be doing a podcast on omniscience. That's probably a good subject for an open theist podcast, right? Omniscience? Might be a little bit important to do a podcast on. Omniscience. All knowledge. When you, the listener, clicked on the link that said that this podcast is on omniscience, it's in the title, right? What did you know that you're going to be hearing a podcast about? You knew that you're going to be listening to a podcast on omniscience. You knew the future. It turns out that this is a pretty common experience, that people know the future. I know I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I know that uh, it's going to be a very busy day tomorrow as I deal with all sorts of problems that I'm putting out fires and stuff like that in a figurative sense. Like today, I knew what I was going to have for dinner. I knew that my kids would be excited to see me. I know all sorts of things. In fact, it'd be impossible for human beings to structure their life if they did not have overwhelming knowledge of future events, that reality conformed to our expectations of the future. This is so true, in fact, that it's a very rare day in which reality doesn't conform to what we know is going to happen. So what is knowledge? Can we have knowledge of events that have not yet happened? Can we have knowledge of things that may turn out to be true or false depending on actions of people? Yeah, we can. That's our normal use of the word knowledge. When I say that I know I'm going to be at whatever city on this day, so I need to take these days off of uh, volunteering at church, I have knowledge of the future. When I say I know I'm going to be out of town, no one says, Oh, hold, hold your horses. You don't know that. You don't know that. There's no way you can know that. The future can, something crazy could happen and you just might be in town. And you don't know that you will be gone. The future's not knowable. How would we respond to that if we had someone react in that way when we say we know something about the future? We treat them like they are psychopaths, like they're crazy. But here's the thing. In theology, we allow people to get away with this type of logic all the time. God does not have knowledge unless that knowledge is 100% and it's, it's mapped to an event that absolutely has to happen no matter what. That's not knowledge. That's not our normal definition of knowledge. Usually people consider knowledge justified true beliefs. And the true beliefs about the future are justified after the fact. If I say I know I'm going to be out of town whatever days, maybe I say I know I'm going to be in Colorado this week for vacation, and then it comes true, people say, yeah, absolutely, he knew that he was going to be in Colorado for vacation. There, there wouldn't be any qualms about it. But an entirely different standard is applied to theology. So in theology, when people approach theology, they, they usually do it through a Neoplatonic lens. And this lens states that God has to have all knowledge. His knowledge has to re represent all facts that currently exist. And those facts have to be based in actual objects. This type of knowledge has its origin in Plato's theory of the forms. That there's this intellectual world in which the perfect representation of all things exists in its perfect form. And that's the realm that God has access to. Those are the objects that transcend space and time that God knows. It's unchanging and it is perfect. So my first point about omniscience, about all knowledge, is knowledge is usually redefined. It's taken out of its normal usage and then given a philosophical definition uh, that's, that's not accessible to normal use of the word knowledge. And then it's applied to these other definitions such as omniscience and the like. 
So when the Bible talks about knowledge, what kind of knowledge is it talking about? It's automatically assumed by these theologians that it's a specific Platonistic definition of knowledge, that God knows all things. It's this, this perfect, unchanging knowledge based in objects. Now, if normal human beings use the word knowledge in a different sense, why are we applying a special definition onto the Bible? Where, where's our basis for that? Where's our justification? Is it in the text? Or are we importing theological ideas that are not probable in the culture that's using this word? So we have a redefinition of knowledge. We also find a redefinition of omniscience. In the ancient world, remember our podcast on the all-knowing God, all sorts of deities were said to have omniscience. They knew all things. And what does that mean? Does that mean they knew all past perfectly, all future perfectly, like Zeus was said to know all things? The eye of Zeus, which sees all and understands all, beholds all things also, if he will, and fails not to note what manner of justice this also which the city contains within it. Interesting, interesting. Be Zeus, my witness, who sees all things always. All right. Nothing escapes the knowledge of the deity. Got it. He that has knowledge of what each one does or will do or has done in the days gone by, be it God or man that does it, I am he. Air, if it likes you better, call me Zeus. So reading these passages from this variety of Greek writers concerning the nature and character of Zeus, one would say that Zeus has omniscience. That's pretty clear from the texts. Zeus is the all-seeing God who sees and knows everything. But then what is the nature of this omniscience? How does Zeus know all things? And if we read very carefully in these texts, it tells us how Zeus knows these things. He is identified with the air. He is everywhere, so sees all things and therefore knows all things. But in Greek mythos, Zeus is not everlasting. He's not eternal. He was born from Kronos and then he defeated Kronos. So he acquired his omniscience at some point of time. It wasn't eternal omniscience since eternity, outside of time, changeless omniscience, is something that he acquired in the course of becoming the greatest god in the pantheon. It's an acquired omniscience. And on top of that, the omniscience is mechanical. How does Zeus know? Because he sees. How does Zeus know the future? Because he sees the present. He's able to see all things going on. He's associated with the air. The knowledge that Zeus gains in, in the Greek mythology is acquired knowledge. It's acquired mechanically. Zeus knows because he sees. Mechanical. You know something because you see it. All right, so all these common phrases that are attributed to Zeus about his having all knowledge. We find very similar statements about Yahweh in the Bible, yet theologians from all centuries come to those texts about Yahweh with the same language, and they bring all sorts of weird presumptions that are not brought to similar texts in other religions, such as in the Greek mythos. 1 John 3.20 For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So it's texts like this that uh, modern-day evangelical scholarship, they bring their assumptions onto this text. And let's read Wayne Grudem from his Systematic Theology. He says this, Knowledge, omniscience. God's knowledge may be defined as follows. God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Elihu says that God is the one who is perfect in knowledge. And John says that God knows everything. 
The quality of knowing everything is called omniscience. Because God knows everything, he is said to be omniscient, that is, all-knowing. The definition given above explains omniscience in more detail. It says first that God fully knows himself. This is an amazing fact since God's own being is infinite or unlimited. Of course, only he who is infinite can fully know himself in every detail. This fact is implied in, by Paul when he says, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what person knows a man's thoughts except for the Spirit of the man which is in him? And so also none comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He goes on to say, The definition also says that God knows all things actual. This means all things that exist and all things that happen. This applies to creation, for God is the one before whom no creature is hidden, but all are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And he lists a bunch of verses. God also knows the future, for he is one who can say, I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and ancient times things not yet done. He knows the tiny details of every one of our lives. <laughs> See what he's doing here? All sorts of absurd assumptions. If someone was talking about Zeus's knowledge from all the proof texts I read, and they were listing off all this stuff, you'd say, dude, you are a nut job. All, everything you're bringing to the text is all just nonsense. Everything you said was nonsense. But let's read on. Our definition of God's knowledge speaks of God knowing everything in one simple act. <laughs> Pay attention to this part. I'll, I'll say it again. Our definition of God's knowledge speaks of God knowing everything in one simple act. Here again, the word simple is used in the sense, not divided into parts. This means that God is always fully aware of everything. If he should wish to tell us the number of grains of sand on the seashore or the number of stars in the sky, he would not have to count them all quickly like some kind of giant computer, nor would he have to call the number to mind because it was something he had not thought about for some time. Rather, he always knows all things at once. All of these facts and all other things that he knows are always fully present in his consciousness. He doesn't have to, to reason to the conclusions or ponder carefully before he answers, for he knows the end from the beginning, and he never learns and never forgets anything. Every bit of God's knowledge is always fully present in his consciousness. It never grows, dims, or fades into his non-conscious memory. Finally, the definition talks about God's knowledge as not only a simple act, but also an eternal act. That means that God's knowledge never changes or grows. If he were to ever learn anything new, he would not have been omniscient beforehand. Thus, from all eternity, God has to know all things that would ever happen, all things he would do. You get that? Okay, so we got a lot of things going on here. First of all, none of his proof texts talk about this definition of knowledge, of omniscience, that he's importing on the text. None of his proof texts talk about that in context. Someone in the Bible who's condemned by God, Elihu, remember he's one of Job's friends, and Job's friends speak what's wrong about God. He says God's perfect in knowledge, and so Wayne Grudem takes that, and he's like, oh, I like this word perfect, it meets my Platonism, and so let's just bring all our assumptions of what Elihu means, and we'll just dump all our Platonism onto that, and then we'll just interpret the whole Bible in light of Platonism. And they don't do that for similar statements about other gods. Even in, in the Bible, there's statements of all knowledge attributed to mankind. King David is said to have all knowledge. The king of Tyr is said to know all secrets of the heart. The writer of Ecclesiastes said that he has seen all things. Luke claims to have a perfect understanding of all things from the very first. 
But does Wayne Grudem have a chapter in his book talking about the omniscience of Luke, the omniscience of the King of Tyr, the omniscience of King David? He doesn't. He doesn't. It's a complete double standard. It's a complete rejection of reading comprehension and everything we know about how to read. Normal language skills. Normal language skills are rejected by Wayne Grudem, and this guy's considered a scholar? Does that sound cultish to you? Does it sound like someone just made up their own religion, brought in a bunch of assumptions, and then started a cult around them, and their divine text has nothing to do with the, the religion that they've created around it? Their, their proof texts have no correlation. So if you want to prove that Yahweh in the Bible has this weird omniscience, and this omniscience is defined very specifically, we'll talk about his definition and everything he does with that word. But if you're going to prove it, you're not going to prove it with the same type of proof text that we've seen about Zeus, that Zeus sees all things, that Zeus knows all things, that Zeus knows the future, because that's not the type of omniscience that was just described. So texts like that do not automatically mean platonic omniscience. In fact, in fact, if you're using a scholarly approach and you're comparing biblical literature to other ancient Near East texts, you would assume the opposite, that the omniscience described is the same type of omniscience described to Zeus, and that omniscience is a present observance of all things as it happens. But this type of omniscience is rejected by Wayne Grudem, right? Wayne Grudem instead embraces a totally different omniscience, and all the assumptions that he brings on omniscience we should be noting. Number one, this is not acquired knowledge. Remember we talked about knowledge in which you receive knowledge through seeing something. You see something and then you get that knowledge. That's an acquired knowledge. That's a passive knowledge. The knowledge is coming to you. What he wants is a simple eternal act of knowledge that originates from inside God himself. He can't have God changing or violating his immutability and impassibility. So God can't be gaining knowledge. The knowledge can't be passive. The knowledge can't be mechanical. And so when the Bible actually describes Yahweh as looking down on earth and watching the actions of all of man, he needs to reject that. He rejects that type of omniscience. God cannot learn. God does not receive information because all information is eternally in God in one event. So when God tests people to know what's in their heart, he has to also reject that. God has this knowledge inherently in himself. God doesn't need to test someone to know what's in their heart. And he says, he says specifically, God does not need to count. So all those verses about God counting the sands on the seas in Isaiah, remember that's his proof text from knowing the end from the beginning. In Isaiah, it has him being able to count how much water is in the ocean in his hand. He has to reject that type of things. God cannot count. That knowledge is inherent in God and there's no need to count how much water there is on earth. Check this out. Isaiah 40:12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in measure? They say, well, definitely it's not Yahweh because Yahweh has all information in his head eternally at the forefront. Nothing can be pushed back to the recesses of his mind. And all information is uh, wholly in front of God's face all at the same time. So when, when the Bible says that God remembers something, uh, God recalls something, when he says that he's going to repress his uh, anger and repress some things in, in, in exchange for other things, they have to reject all that language about God and how God's knowledge operates because, because of platonic assumptions they bring on knowledge, on omniscience, and they force on God against the biblical text. Remember, none of their proof texts have any context for this. 
So this omniscience, it can't be a passive omniscience. It has to be a fully active omniscience. It can't be mechanical. God can't see stuff to know stuff in Platonic omniscience. And everything is eternally foreknown at the front of God's mind forever. There's no recalling. There's no remembering. There's no forgetting. So in Exodus 2.24, and God hears the groaning from the enslaved Israelites in Egypt, says, So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. What the text reads is that there's a present action that spurred God to put at the forefront of his mind his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? God's remembering it. God's calling it to the forefront of his mind. This type of knowledge is rejected with Platonic omniscience. Furthermore, furthermore, Grunem claims about this omniscience that it's like an eternal omniscience. So let's take Zeus, for example. Zeus was born of Kronos. He didn't always know all things since all eternity. He wasn't timeless, anything stupid like that. And then he acquired this, this attribute of all knowledge. And let's, let's build a scenario. This is a possibility. It's not something I believe. But let's just build it for the sake of argument. Let's say in Genesis 18, God says, I don't know what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sending people to go check it out. It turns out Sodom and Gomorrah are very, very wicked. And God says to himself, all right, maybe I should have more active surveillance over the earth. And now I'm going to establish my omniscience on the earth. Right? And acquired omniscience. Does that fit the text? It does fit the text. And does any future text refute that? When God says that he declares the end from the beginning, when it says that God knows all things, does that disclude the scenario that I just laid out, that God acquired omniscience at some point? Or even the scenario where God could choose whether to know all things or not? No, none of these proof texts are about God's eternal, immutable nature that he can't, he can't get rid of. In fact, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, right? He withdraws this knowledge attribute and says that no one knows the end of times except for God the Father, not even his son, Jesus. Right? That's what it says. So it's an attribute that he could disown from himself. But that's precluded by Grudem. Grudem assumes that can never be the case. Why? Because of his Platonism he brings onto these vague proof texts. So real quickly again. Number one, Wayne Grudem assumes that this Platonic omniscience is not passive. It's an act of omniscience, that this is eternal and immutable in God in one simple act rather than acquired omniscience. He assumes that God can't divest himself of this omniscience, which where is that supported? Anywhere in the Bible. And he assumes that this is objective-based knowledge, not the knowledge that you and I have about the future. The knowledge that we have about the future is unacceptable to him, even though that's our normal use of the word to know. You know, people know things in the future. And one more point real quick before we turn to the Bible and look at what type of omniscience that God does have. Wayne Grudem excludes an entire class of knowledge to God. Experiential knowledge. God can't experience something and know something in the way that we know. I know exactly what it's like to eat too much Oreos to the extent that I just want to pass out on the couch in a dazed food stupor. Child molesters know what it's like to be child molesters and lust after little children. And does God know exactly what that feels like in that sense? Does God have that experiential knowledge? And William Lane Craig has an interesting interview when the interviewer actually asks him about experiential knowledge, knowledge based on experience. And 
William Lane Craig says, oh, God doesn't actually have that type of knowledge. So not only does God have to have this super specific objective-based Platonistic knowledge, but an entire class of knowledge is denied to God. And so when it says God knows all things, they have to build in their assumptions and their own limitations based on their assumptions of what type of Platonic knowledge God has to have. And so also when Jesus Christ is a man and gaining experiential knowledge, he knows what it's like to be a man communing with the men, doing man type things, being tempted like men. God's not gaining that knowledge. God's not adding to his knowledge. Really? That is their position? That God's not gaining knowledge through an incarnation? Are these guys even Christians? Platonism taints every aspect of their theology. Everything is Neoplatonism. So let's figure out what type of knowledge that God actually does have. And we'll turn to one of these Platonic sites to do this. Allaboutgod.com. That sounds pretty good, right? God is omniscient versus. All right. So Isaiah 46, we talked about this already. He says, I declare the end from the beginning, from ancient times, that which is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do the all that I please. Okay. So this knowledge seems to be like my knowledge that I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I know I'm going to go to work tomorrow because I'm going to make it happen. Yeah, that seems like the pretty common definition of knowledge. It doesn't have to be Platonistic knowledge. The text doesn't support that. In fact, the text doesn't say, I declare that from the beginning because I have all knowledge internally in myself from all timelessness and none of that nonsense. It's not Platonism being described here. It's God knows because he will do. Sounds to me like mechanical knowledge. It doesn't sound like inherent knowledge at all. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Psalms 139.4. So this is a personal knowledge. God knows David to such an extent that he could figure out what David is going to do before he does it. The other day I was teasing my baby. I got this one-year-old who's very super protective of my wife. And so what I'll do is I'll put my hand on my wife while the baby's cuddling with my wife. And the baby will just, she'll get all mad and she'll just try to rip my hand off my wife. And it's, it's really funny. It's, so it's so funny to tease this baby. And so I'll just keep putting my hand on my wife and knowing, because I know my baby, because I know her personality, I know what she'll do. And it's going to be funny. She's going to freak out like, I'm going to rip your hand off your own wife and I'm super protective of mommy. I know her. I know her. It's a relational knowledge. All right, so, so far we have a mechanical knowledge God knows because he's going to do. We have a personal knowledge God knows because he is familiar with how people act. The next quote is from Job 21:22, And contextually, it's very interesting because Job's friends are the Calvinists. They think that everything happens for a reason. And he says, no, it doesn't. It doesn't all happen for a reason. You think you're going to teach God how to govern the universe? Things happen by happenstance. God's not involved in these things. Basically, he's saying, you guys can't teach God how to govern the world. And so uh, this is not an God has all knowledge of all things perfectly from the beginning of time. That's, that's not that proof text. That's not what's going on here. And to take it that way is to ignore what we know about contextual reading of verses. Might as well say King David knows all things rather than contextualize the statement. Next proof text is, he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limits. Yeah. That might be a better proof text for omniscience if it had anything to do with knowledge. It doesn't. So God has in the Bible the attribute of uh, being all-knowing. And in addition to this, he has the attribute of being 
crafty, clever, capable, able to understand and process information. Processing information is different than just having all information. Like, let's pretend there's an encyclopedia that exists with all information. It might have all information, but it doesn't know what to do with it. What this verse does is it talks about God's mental processing skills. Ancient Israel wasn't like modern Christians who try to conflate these attributes because they're thinking in Platonic categories. They weren't. God has all knowledge, and he has the cleverness, the craftiness, the understanding, the mental capability in order to process this information and make it useful and to do things. And this is funny. First Chronicles 28. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So what is this saying? It's saying God acquires information by testing people. He knows the heart because he tests the heart. This is an acquired information. Absolutely contradicts everything that Wayne Grudem believes about God's knowledge. Here's another omniscience proof text from the same site. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. Again, this is passive knowledge. This is knowledge that God gains from testing hearts. See, he says that he considers everything they do. He forms their hearts. He looks down and sees all mankind. This is a real-time gathering of, of information. This is not timeless immutability in which knowledge is a single act, always at the forefront of God's mind. Wayne Grudem, Wayne Grudem, what religion are you? It doesn't sound like you believe in Yahweh of the Bible. It doesn't. You're not describing the omniscience that's found in the Bible. Instead, in the Bible, God's omniscience is relational. It's based in God's power. God can act and bring about what he wants to do. God's knowledge comes through watching men, testing their hearts to find out what they're going to do. Let's go on. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. Okay, God can count again. All right. Nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Oh, really? Because that sounds like passive omniscience in which God gains information from seeing. Oh, the depths of riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Okay, that doesn't prove anything about this omniscience that Grudem wants to force on the text. So basically, every single proof text that exists in the Bible for omniscience is describing a passive omniscience in which God watches the earth and gains the information. In fact, in fact, we have council scenes, such as in Job, the first chapter, in which angels report information to God. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and good. And eyes, you know, you have like the eyes of the king, which is like a spy network for the king. The eyes later in the Bible are described as angels. There's seven eyes that run to and throw upon the earth. And we see Satan do the same thing within Job. It says, where have you been? I've been going to and fro on earth. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I think these are angels. I think when the Bible uses this phrase, not always, but often it's referring to angels, God's messengers, God's spy network. But even if it's not, even if it's not, even if it's about God omnisciently watching everyone, Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. This is a present knowledge, a knowledge which God acquires. And, and in the most offensive way to Calvinism, if this is a spy network, the idea is that God doesn't have to be everywhere to know everything. He has messengers that watch everything happen and then report that knowledge to him. 
So while God knows everything, it's not everything like uh, God knows what's happening to a remote island that's desolate with no life, and then the rock falls and moves because of the wind, and God's tracking the movement of that rock. That's not what these passages are talking about. The passages are talking specifically about man's actions, that God is watching man's actions, and people can't escape God's judgment. They can't say, oh, God doesn't see what I'm doing. Remember in Ezekiel, there's those elders who try to hide from God. And so they do things in secret because in Israel, their normative thoughts about God were that God cannot see them if they were in the dark. That's why King David says in Psalms 139 that God could see him even in the dark, right? He's countering this, this very widespread belief in Israel that God can't see in the dark. God can't see through a roof. God sits in the heaven looks down, and his vision is blocked by the clouds. King David doesn't believe it. Job doesn't believe it. Job counters this idea as well. The idea stressed by the biblical authors is not this omniscience that's eternal within God himself, but God can see everything everyone does, and there's no hiding from God's sight. They don't defend God's omniscience through the Calvinistic means, how a Calvinist would argue, oh, of course God knows what you're going to do because he has all knowledge. And if he didn't have all knowledge, he wouldn't be God because he would be changing by acquiring information. They don't argue like Calvinists. When people say God doesn't know what I'm doing, they say absolutely he does because God watches what you're doing. That's what God does. He sees you doing your evil. So don't expect to escape judgment. You are seen, you are known, and God will be the ultimate judge of your actions. So everything that Wayne Grudem brings onto omniscience, that omniscience is this unique knowledge that's object-based, that omniscience is this immutable attribute in God that's perfectly simple, that omniscience can't be divested, that omniscience has to be an active and not a passive omniscience, that this omniscience does not include any type of experiential knowledge. Every single assumption that he brings onto it is not a biblical assumption. It's not supported by his proof texts, and it's very pagan in origin. It's against the Bible. The Bible specifically counters all these ideas. Explicitly. The Bible explicitly states how God gains his information. God knows because he does. God knows because he tests. God knows because he sees. God's knowledge comes to God in this passive sense where it's not this act of omniscience. God's not timeless. God doesn't have this this pure actuality inside himself of knowledge that doesn't change and is based on objects. Nothing like that. God has the same type of knowledge we have about the future. He knows because he's going to do. He knows because he knows people's characters. He knows because he knows how people are going to respond in certain circumstances. And sometimes those expectations are thwarted. He says, oh, Israel, I thought you would return to me, and you did not. So biblical omniscience is not the omniscience described by Plato, Plotinus, and Wayne Grudem. It's not. Biblical omniscience is personal, relational. Biblical omniscience is God interacting with human beings. It's high time we stop interjecting paganism onto the Bible. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to godisopenquestions at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 